Hello, this is Christopher Eck. I am the lead pastor at Bethany Covenant Church in Bedford, New Hampshire. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this message inspires, helps, and encourages you as you seek to live your life with Jesus. For more information about our church or to support the ministry, visit BethanyCovenant.com. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Bethany Covenant Church. I'm Pastor Chris. Just a few more weeks to go until it is Christmas. And we've been moving slowly through the Advent season here, looking at the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Back in November, I was traveling around and, you know, just looking at the landscape littered with all the political signs here in New Hampshire. There were so many of them. And I'm petty enough just to vote for the people who don't put up as many political signs. And, but I remember driving and thinking to myself, one month from now, all these signs are going to be taken down. And one month from now, they're going to be replaced by Christmas trees and Christmas decorations and Christmas lights. And whether intended or not by the people doing the decorating, when you put up Christmas trees and Christmas lights and Christmas decorations, you now begin to point people to the birth of Jesus Christ, that they may think of all their other Christmas traditions and all the other things that happen during Christmas, but for every person who sees Christmas lights, Christmas trees, Christmas decoration, there's going to be that little bit of a thought of who Jesus is. And with that thought comes, and we're reminded of that invitation. It's that invitation to hope, it's that invitation to love, it's that invitation to peace that that has come to all of us in the season of Advent. Uh, that is the invitation that God has given us. Through this season of Advent, our series has been one night, and we've been taking a close look at Luke's telling of the day when Jesus Christ was born. That Luke started the process of writing the book of Luke and writing the book of Acts by interviewing eyewitnesses to all that had happened during the life of Jesus. And he takes all these notes and all these interviews and maybe some other things that he had read and been studying, and he now is putting together a careful account of the life of Jesus Christ. And so Luke begins his account with kind of the Jesus' birth with a global view. He says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. The whole world was moving because of a decree from Caesar Augustus. Through the first two weeks, we've seen Luke being consumed by the facts and by the details. Luke wanted us to know who the emperor was, who the governor of Syria was, what the town of Bethlehem was, how long it was from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Luke wanted us to know about the census. The facts mattered to Luke. The details mattered to Luke. And for a time, there was a belief that Luke didn't get a lot of his facts right, but the more that the historians did their work, the more that the archaeologists did their work, that it turns out that Luke ended up being right on really all of his leaders, all of his kind of um, cultural references, all of his geography, that Luke got a lot of the details right. And that's important for my faith. Because if you can't get the history right, you know, it makes it harder to believe the claims of Jesus walking on water. 
or Jesus' healing, or Jesus' resurrection. And so by sharing the historical pieces, Luke was telling us what the world was like at that particular moment. Luke is telling us what the mood of the world is, um, and really just the Roman world. The Romans had moved in and expanded their empire into all the provinces in Israel, and the place where Bethlehem was would have been known as a rascal province, which they were not just going to cooperate with Rome. And so Rome needed to move in. And when it became time for the census, the census determined how much of the wealth of that town was going to be moved from that town to Rome. And it's basically moving wealth from one part of the world to another part of the world. It wasn't taxes where people got better schools and better roads. It was just one big kind of wealth redistribution from Israel all the way to Rome. And the people then weren't going to see that wealth again. And so the mood and the atmosphere of Bethlehem on the night of Jesus' birth would have been one of anger and would have been one of tension and one of anxiety. That Roman soldiers or proxies for Rome would have filled the streets. And, um, and it would have been a very kind of angst-filled, angry atmosphere on that first Christmas. Luke then narrows the focus and says, So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth. Now Luke and Mary, or Joseph and Mary, are moving just like the rest of the world. Luke wants us to know how far Mary and Joseph had to travel 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We see Mary give birth to a baby, her firstborn son, that Luke kind of brings up the challenges of this trip, that there wasn't a place to stay initially. They had to make this trip, this 90-mile trip while Mary is pregnant. There was some, there was um, there was, they go into labor while they're in Bethlehem, which may or may not have been expected. And, and so kind of the challenges and the stresses and the uncertainties go up for Mary and Joseph. And yet we see that in that night, God cares for Mary and Joseph. God provides a place for the birth. God provides people from the town to help them as Mary's in labor and gives birth to Jesus. They're provided with a home, and Mary places Jesus down into a manger that was inside that home. And so through all the uncertainty, God cared for Mary and Joseph. The world is moving because of a decree from Caesar. Mary and Joseph are moving because they're traveling to Bethlehem. And then Luke gets into the next part. And he then writes this, and he said, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. They are not moving at all. You know, Luke makes their night sound about as ordinary as any night could be for them. They were just watching their sheep, maybe counting them one, two sheep, three sheep, and then they drift off to sleep. That Luke could not have made their presence or their beginning of the night more uninteresting than the way that he did. Like he makes their night sound pretty boring. And the job of a shepherd was much more than watching. The job of a shepherd was not a very easy job. Shepherds fought off wild animals with their staffs. We read that David at one point in the Old Testament, he was a shepherd. He killed a lion and a bear while watching sheep. Now, it wasn't at the same time, but still pretty impressive that he got both. You know, shepherds protected the sheep from people who wanted to steal them. 
there were people that would come in and want to take the sheep, but they protected them. If some of the sheep wandered off, they'd have to go off in some pretty dangerous wilderness to be able to find the sheep. That shepherds were tough. They were rugged. They were rough, outdoors kind of people. They knew every noise in the wilderness that there was. If you and I were out in the wilderness, like on our first night, we'd hear a noise. And we'd be like, what's that? What is that noise? That has to be something. Is it a bear? Is it a lion? Is it a wolf? Is it the wolf man? Like we would kind of be attached to every single noise and be worried. None of that got to them anymore. The shepherds had seen it all in the wilderness. They were not skittish. They were not easily scared. They were not weak. They were not timid. They were survivalists. They were hunted for their food each day, had to go find water each day. They were rough, rugged, tough, and made their living surrounding the, or surviving the outdoor elements weeks at a time as they were out with their sheep. And so in Luke 8, in verse 8, Luke wants us to make sure that we just see their night as starting just like any other night and kind of like a boring statement. And then their night is interrupted by God. And this is one of those profound interruptions of Scripture. Here, an interruption from God is an invitation from God. The shepherds were having the most ordinary night they could have, and then this interruption from God becomes an invitation from God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who led some of the resistance to Hitler and the Nazi party, wrote this. He says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will constantly, God will be constantly crossing our path and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. Interruptions are a part of our lives. Our best laid plans or our best laid plans will not often go as planned. Sometimes our interruptions are just the awful things of life. It is the sin of others, it's sickness, It's pain that interrupts life. Those are unavoidable and not the topic for tonight. Sometimes God interrupts our life with a new mission, with a new call, with a new task, with a new passion, with a new person need that we're called to serve. That God steps into our ordinary lives and interrupts it and says, wait a minute right here. I got something new for you that you never could have imagined. That this is not a story, there's not a story in Scripture where someone was fully prepared for the life that God was inviting them to. Moses at first didn't want God's invitation, but God interrupted his life. Jonah ran from God. God interrupted his life. The disciples were interrupted from their lives, and they regularly misunderstood what God and Jesus wanted them to do. Even Jesus was interrupted in his life. That Jesus, at one point, is traveling through a crowd, and someone touches his cloak, and he stops everybody, and he says, who touched me? And everybody's looking around, it's like, well, a bunch of people touched you. And Jesus felt, I said, I felt some energy leave me. And he needed to know who it was. And it was a woman who was sick, who needed healing. And Jesus healed her. He was open to that interruption. When Jesus is sleeping on a boat, Jesus was interrupted from sleep. 
when the disciples were too afraid of the storm. And these were fishermen, like they were boat people who were afraid of the storm. And Jesus interrupted to care for people. Each interruption was an opportunity to pursue the will of God. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will, con will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans. As a pastor, I will tell you that 90% of my days, um, I would love to tell you that 90% of my days are planned and efficient, but they are not. Like, really, you pay me to be interrupted and inefficient on a regular basis because that's the way, that's what ministry is. That's how caring for people goes. And so this was an ordinary night, and then God interrupts this with them with this extraordinary invitation. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. First, the angel tells them, do not be afraid. Now, this is not a skittish group. They are not an afraid group. They had seen it all, heard it all in the wilderness, and yet they hadn't seen this, and they were afraid. My hunches, when the angel says, do not be afraid, like they were still pretty afraid at this point. And then everything after that is about getting them to say yes to this invitation. There's kind of this wooing, this coaxing, by the angels to accept this invitation that God had for them. First, the angel tells them, I have good news that'll cause great joy for all the people. Like that kind of gets you thinking, oh, we like good news. We like news that's joy for all the people. Second part of what the angel tells them about the birth. Today in the town of David, they would know that as Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. He is Messiah, the Lord. And you would think that those two pieces of information alone would cause them to go. But the angel doesn't stop there. The angel thinks that they need kind of one more piece of invitation, if they're one information, if they're going to respond to this invitation. That the angel tells them next where to look for the Savior who has been born. Because most likely, if the shepherds assumed that the Messiah was born in a palace or the Messiah was born in the temple or the Messiah was born in a fortress, like that's what the assumption would be. That's what the wise men assumed. The wise men assumed that if a king was going to be born, it was going to be born in a it was going to be born in a palace or in a fortress or somewhere important. The shepherds would probably have made the same assumption. And if they would have made that assumption, they would have been far less likely to see this new child because they knew we're not getting into the palace. We're not getting into the temple. We're not getting into a fortress. They had nowhere near the credentials or the clout that was needed for that kind of access. And then the angel shares this. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And that line is key. Because when they hear the baby is lying in a manger, well, now they know the baby is not in the palace, but the baby is not in the temple, the baby that's not in a fortress. 
that the baby, the Messiah, must be probably in a home much like theirs, in the manger in the home. They all had mangers in their homes. They would find the child in circumstances like their own. This gave them confidence that they could go see the Messiah and that they would be let in. It gave them confidence that they would be welcomed. It gave them confidence that the work that God was doing in the world was for them and not just for everybody else. And so these three pieces of information, the last one being key, that you can have confidence that you can go and see this new king, this new Messiah, this baby that has been born. And after sharing that information, then the heavens opened for them. In Luke 2.13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, pra angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So there are two parts to this little song. There's the part of the praise for God, that the glory of God, the visible majesty of God, they're praising God. And then the second part of the song is not so much a praise, but it's more of a proclamation of the results of what this birth will be. That because of this birth, this is what's going to happen. God's glory is going to be revealed, and now the situation is going to be changing. And he says, and now on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This Messiah will create a new environment for peace. Peace between us and God. Peace between us and others. Peace inside ourselves. That a new environment where peace could now exist was done on Christmas Day. The phrase on whom his favor rests, you may look at that and feel like that might be a little bit troubling, wondering, well, does God decide who his favor rests on? And then there are others that are outside of that favor. They're insiders, they're outsiders. And really this invitation Luke is making clear is for everybody that it is, yes, it is God's choice, but God has chosen to extend his favor, this invitation to all of us. The invitation is for all of us. That's why God called the shepherds. That at the time, there's a portion of the culture at that time that thought that the job of shepherds was like the lowest of the low jobs. You know, and if you like, we're going to be important in life, then your job really need to be studying Torah and studying the law and be kind of in that scholarly kind of place. And there are probably other people who, um, you know, looked at shepherds and there were positive images of shepherds. You know, David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Religious leaders were called shepherds. Jesus was call, called himself the good shepherd. And so some may have thought that they were the lowest of the low. You know, some may have thought that that was like a great career. For most people, shepherds was kind of an ordinary job, ordinary people, good workers doing good work. And by coming to the shepherds, it was a message from God that Jesus was sent for all the people. That wasn't just for the leaders in Rome. It wasn't just for the leaders in Jerusalem. But it was for kind of the everyday people in their lives. By coming to the shepherds, it was a message that Jesus was sent for all people, including you and me. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. And they responded to this interruption and invitation. As Bonhoeffer says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will constantly be, God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans. Each week I've read to you this poem about the day of Jesus' birth from Kenneth Stevens. And he talks about kind of that open door at the end for all who come. Let me read it to you again in the words of Jesus. When the miracle happened, it was not with bright light or fire, but a farm door with the thick smell of sheep and wind tugging at the shutters. There was no sign the world had changed forever or that God had taken place. Just a child crying softly in a corner and the door open for all who came to find. For his Jesus who said, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come out and go they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the invitation of Jesus in your life in this time, in this moment, in this part of history. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we are grateful for the invitation that we received from you. Just as you came to the shepherds interrupting their normal everyday life, maybe you feel like your normal everyday life is being interrupted right now. And you just sense in you this kind of new call from God. And you want to say yes to Jesus today. Lord, respond with a simple yes. Jesus, today, I choose to learn more about you, choose to step into your love, choose to step into your hope. That's what's needed in my life on this day. Lord, we ask that you'll be present with us this week. Watch over our cares and our concerns and our anxieties. May you help us show love to those who need, our, who need your love. And help us to be sharers of your peace. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Well, I'm glad that we could be together today. It is a, um, and invite you back again next week as we kind of conclude the store, the night of Jesus' birth with the shepherds visiting Mary and Joseph. Pastor David, going to be a great job of opening that scripture for us next week. So you hope that you'll join us for that. And then also on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we have services here to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and I hope you will join us for those as well. Today, go with God's peace and with God's blessing. Amen.